Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Tom Marvin, technical editor at Bike Radar, and with me over the magic of the internet is Seb Stott, uh, and you're one of our resident big tech heads, isn't, isn't that right? Uh, that is what they call me. I yeah, can never yeah. quite remember your job title, Seb, so that's why I always trying to make up like some sort of... It's a technical writer. It's pretty, writer. pretty mundane. I but, write about technical things. Oh, very good. Um, <laughs> Although sometimes I do podcasts and videos, so I guess um, I'm already oh, over, overstretching myself. We should call you a technical um, communicator, Seb. Yeah, correspondent. Technical, oh, technical correspondent. You should get a job on the BBC <laughs> with a title like that. That sounds quite good. Yeah, it could be like Laura Coonsberg. <laughs> yeah. Reporting live. <laughs> I'll, I'll go and ask Boris Johnson what he thinks about uh, coil versus air forks. There we go. Well, I'm sure he'll be... Blah, 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 yeah, you know, um, that was my Boris yeah, Johnson impression. let's not say anything political. Um, but, um, big fan. So um, talking about technical things, Seb, um, what have you been doing recently? Um, have, you, have, you, have, we got some, have we got some news? Have we got some news? Oh, well, from my personal life, which obviously everyone cares about deeply. <laughs> um, I've had a baby. She's called Josie. Good. Uh, I didn't have Lovely. her personally, but my wife had her. Excellent. Um, and so that was very nice. So th- has, that, um, um, has that impacted on, on your testing recently? Have you been managing to get out on the bike in between feeding, bathing, pooing, and all um, sorts of the things that you did yourself and whatever yeah. Josie's been doing? <laughs> yeah, you you know I spend a lot of time feeding and bathing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I've been, I, I don't think I've been out for more than like an hour at a time or a couple of hours at a time. Mm-hmm. But luckily I live, there's a trail I can do from my house, which if I'm quick, I can do in like 25 minutes. Wow. Which is really lucky because otherwise it would be a bit much to be like, I'm going to go out to Wales for the whole day. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's nice. Um, obviously haven't been riding as much as normal, but um, yeah, luckily I've been able to get out for... Uh, for a few little rides, which is really nice. Um, it's about the only time I feel fully awake is when I'm riding down <laughs> something really steep and muddy. Yeah. Um, the rest of the time, I'm like 80 to 90% awake. So 24-7, nice. presumably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's enough about me. In, in my um, professional life, yeah, I've been testing some forks, Tom. Do you want to ask me about that? I would love to ask you about forks. And that's kind of the... Um, the tangent from which we're going to disappear into this podcast from, I think, because uh, you, you recently completed your annual uh, big sort of longer travel um, enduro-y, trail-y enduro-y forks group test for MBUK and Bike Radar. Um, and yeah, we, we I guess we wanted to talk in this podcast a little bit about what you found about the differences between the forks and, you know, the air springs and the chassis and, and the dampers and stuff. And then maybe... Um, disappear off towards talking about stiffness across the whole bike as a system, you know, wheels, frames, that sort of thing. Because it's um, often something we talk about in reviews, but maybe we don't really delve too much into, perhaps? Yeah, yeah. So so the reason that I think that is an interesting offshoot to go on to is that recently, so this year, RockShox bought out the Zeb and mm. Fox bought out the 38, which are stiffer versions of their already pretty stiff enduro forks. Um, so in this group test, I got the chance to test them back to back against uh, their more sort of, I, don't, I guess you could call it regular stiffness forks. Um, mm-hmm. So the 36 back to back against the 38 and the Lyric back to back against the Zeb. And basically um, what I, this, this is probably the most interesting thing about the test was that the stiffer forks with their like bigger stanchion diameters were not, in my opinion, harsher or any in any way. There wasn't sort of more feedback or more harshness from that stiffer chassis. In fact, quite the opposite. So particularly when you're getting into sort of big sort of shoebox sized rocks, big squarish hits, or when you're in a kind of loaded up into a hard packed berm so the bike is quite compressed and then you're hitting bumps within that mm-hmm. berm. The In both cases, both in the RockShops and the Fox case, the stiffer forks were just smoother, more predictable, less jarring on those kind of impacts. Um, and on the small stuff, small bumps, I think they're about the same. Um, potentially there's a bit more friction in the with the bigger diameter stanchions, but I didn't really notice much difference in terms of, of harshness or feedback there. It was just kind of when you get into the bigger stuff, the stiffer forks actually felt smoother. Right. Uh, which is maybe the opposite of what you might expect. Um, and my theory for this is that when you hit a bump that is uh, large enough, so if you imagine just riding into a curb, mm-hmm. so the curb is quite tall, so it the... Um, the force that that curb um, 
in parts on the wheel is a, a, in the direction that goes from where the wheel contacts the curb through the axle, if you can imagine that. So the taller the curb, the more rearwards the force. Mm -hmm. um, so if you had a curb that was as tall as your axle, then the force would be exactly rearward and you would just stop dead. But basically, the, the taller the bump, the more rearwards the force. And when you have a force that is at a, a shallower angle than your head angle, yeah. and to get a force that fits that description, it, the bump would need to be taller than about four centimeters. So okay. a, four, a four centimeter bump with a 29 inch wheel imparts a force on the wheel that's at about 64 degrees, which is about my head angle. But if you have a bigger bump than that, then the force is more rearwards than the fork. So the fork flexes backwards mm. on those big bumps. And you can see this in slow motion. Um, if you look at, um, I did a video on Bike Radar a few years ago that was Fox 36 versus Rockdrix Lyric. And in that video, there's some good footage, like side-on footage of the forks, both, both forks like flexing fore and aft quite a lot. So you might think that this fore aft flex kind of gives you a bit of extra compliance and comfort, but I actually think it's the opposite. Because if you, if you imagine for a minute having a rigid fork, just to make it more simple, mm -hmm. if you hit into that curb, then as the fork flexes backwards, it's almost going to, a bit like a pole vault, um, the, the angle of the fork means that as it flexes backwards, the head tube is actually going to be sort of lifted up slightly. Mm. If you can picture that, so the so that's going to act to actually increase the vertical displacement of the head tube as it moves up and over the bump. Okay, if that makes sense. So that that four aft flex uh, that all forks have, I, I really don't think is helpful, and I think this is the reason or part of the reason why the stiffer forks were gave a smoother ride over those big sort of chunky trails is mm -hmm. that that, that um, fore aft flex is actually, it's kind, of an, it's kind of a flex that means that the axle bends downwards relative to the frame. And so the frame is actually moving kind of upwards relative to the axle as, as it flexes backwards and downwards. Okay. That makes sense. Um, I think the other reason is that the, the bigger forks, the stiffer forks are binding less. Yeah. Because they're not twisting as much and so they're, the, the the legs are remaining more parallel and so mm -hmm. they can slide more easily. I think mm -hmm. that's another reason, but um, for whatever the sort of total reason is, yeah, that was the most surprising thing is that the, the stiffer forks were more comfortable and more predictable in that big chunky terrain. Okay. And um, um, I mean, the, the, the stiction one and the flex of it, you know, of the, the uppers to the lowers is, is the one that, Immediately that jumps out as one that is easy to understand. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's certainly something that you know, like even manufacturers themselves talk about or modify the the designs of their forks from one generation to the next to sort of minimise and all, and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah, totally. So um, one of the biggest differences between the Lyric and the Zeb is that the Zeb has uh, more bushing overlap. Yeah. So the bushings are the point at which the upper tubes and the lower tubes uh, touch and mm -hmm. they're, they're very low friction surfaces. But in the Zeb, they're further apart so that when you get these twisting forces on the fork, 
that translates into less uh, lateral force on the bushings because they're further apart. So mm. basically you have less leverage over those, um, uh, those two bushings in mm -hmm. each leg. Um, and I think that's a big difference in that case. Um, but I noticed the difference as well when comparing the 36 and the 38. Uh, so whatever the reason, yeah, the, that's, the, that's the big takeaway I think from this test is that the, the stiffer forks are not less comfortable in mm -hmm. fact, they, they perform better in terms of rough terrain. And if you think about like comparing a Fox 34, yeah, uh, like a Fox 34 is just, it's not so much that it's like vague and you can't steer it where you want it to go. It's more that it, it's just surprisingly harsh and jarring. Mm -hmm. And that could be to do with like um, the damping the and, and yeah. what have you. But, the, you know, there are dampers in the, the Fit4 damper in the 34, I think, is pretty similar to the Fit4 in the 36. Yeah. So, and, and also when you compare it to, to downhill forks on the other extreme, like they're much stiffer than, mm -hmm. than any single crown fork. And, you know, they feel pretty good on the whole, um, or at least some of them do. So this idea that a flexier fork is more comfortable in certain situations, I, I just don't buy it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, Are there any downsides to having such a stiff fork then? Well, what would you say would be the downsides? The weight, weight? I think the weight is the only downside. I think you could have an infinitely stiff fork, um, it, theoretically. If you could have mm -hmm. an infinitely stiff fork that, um, that weighed the same, I think that's what you would, what you would want. I don't, I don't think there's any benefit to the flex in the fork. Okay. In fact, I think it's counterproductive to the suspension action. Okay. So, I mean, when we were discussing uh, how we were going to sort of stretch this pod, we, we did sort of say that we were going to talk about the findings from the rest of the group test. So, you know, maybe let's talk about what you thought about the different forks and, and you know, which, mm. you know, maybe maybe not going down to like this fork was good at this and this fork was bad at that, but like what were the general findings? But just following on from that, before we go do that, you said that within a fork you don't think there's... Um, a issue with going as stiff as it possibly can do. Mm. Now, I think we, I don't know if we agree or disagree on, on this next thing, but let's look at the, the bike as a whole. Let's talk about frames and wheels. Mm. Is, do you think that you can go too stiff on, say, like the, the frame? Well, what I think is that most frames are sufficiently stiff that it wouldn't make any difference if they were infinitely stiff like okay. they, they, they are so stiff compared like basically the suspension and the tire and i think to a certain extent the handlebar has so much more flex at least in the vertical direction so if you're talking about vertical compliance that mm. brands like to talk about um in, in the context of wheels and frames and things i think that the the, the stiffness in the vertical direction of a frame and a wheel are so much greater than the vertical stiffness of the tire, the suspension, and maybe even the handlebar, that the the flex that they do have is negligible. Mm. So there's basically uh, like a stack of springs with different spring rates from your suspension would be the softest one, then the tire, and then I think the handlebar. And those springs are so much softer than the spring that is the wheel or the spring that is the frame that I'm just not convinced they make much difference. Mm -hmm. uh, and this has been 
essentially proven when it comes to road bikes. Like they have tested uh, the the vertical deflection of road bike frames, where they put the frame in a jig, press down on the uh, seat post, and uh, with uh, the rear axle in a clamp, and just measure the the de- the deflection of the frame as a function of the f- the vertical force that is put on the seat tube. And uh, the study I saw was looking at 80s road frames, like steel 80s road frames. So I don't know if modern road frames are significantly flexier or stiffer. I'm not sure. But in, in those cases, the, the stiffness of the frame was orders of magnitude, like hundreds of times stiffer than the tire mm. or the seat post itself. And this is a, ri- this is a, a road tire uh, which, which is so much more flexy than the frame in the vertical direction that the, the flex in the frame is, is pretty negligible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you hit a bump, there is some vertical compliance between uh, the rider and the road, but almost all of that compliance is coming from uh, the tire and the seat post in the case of the road bike. And, I, and in the mountain bike, it's even more pronounced because not only is the tire much, much bigger, so you have maybe 50 millimeters of vertical travel in a tire, plus let's say 150 mil of travel in the suspension of a um, of a trail bike. Um, and the frame in the vertical direction and the wheel are are flexing a tiny amount compared to that. So Stans brought out a a wheel called the Bravo, which they had designed to have lots of vertical compliance. It's a very shallow profile rim. And they made a claim that it they could flex, uh, in an impact test, it would flex up to seven mil vertically before it failed. Mm-hmm. Like this is not seven mil on every bump, this is seven mil before it failed. But of course, if you're hitting a rim hard enough that, that it fails, I mean, you've already used up that 50 millimeters of deflection in your tire you're probably using a lot of the deflection in your suspension as well. So even at failure, that rim is only flexing another seven mil. It's not a huge amount on top. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that the, the vertical deflection of, of the wheels and the, and the, and the frame are, are probably quite negligible most of the time. If, <clears throat> if there is a benefit to flexier wheels, it's, it's laterally. And I think I, I think when we're talking about vertical compliance, you know, maybe here we should be talking, you know, like on a full suspension frame. I, I totally agree that there's um, a lot more a lot more going on on a hardtail. You know, I think there's differences. Maybe we'll, we'll touch on those. But I think there's a lot of you know that we do need to sort of talk really about is that lateral or twisting compliance. And I know we've we've discussed wheel comfort in the past. Where you know, like you can, you know, you say, oh, there's no vertical um, deflection within within a wheel system, but there are. I, I feel there are tangible differences in feel between wheels, and I think that probably does then come down to that lateral or that twisting sort of flex that you get within a wheel and within a frame. Yeah, I I think um, wheels are are much less stiff laterally than they are vertically yes so this idea that wheels can be that spoke tension wheels can be um flexi vertically Mm. laterally compliant but vertically no is that right yes laterally compliant but vertically stiff yeah 
that that marketing claim I think is is nonsense because wheels are really stiff lateral uh, vertically, like the the amount of load you can put all of your weight on a wheel, and it barely it doesn't even move visibly, mm. and that's because it's pre tensioned by all the spoke tension, mm. and each spoke has like uh, a pre built wheel will have generally something like a hundred or two hundred kilograms worth of tension in it. And you have to overcome that tension before the wheel can flex at all vertically. So it has this preload effect. Um, so, so the stiffness at the start of its kind of travel, if you like, is, is almost infinite. It's um, because you have to overcome that tension in the spokes before it will even start to move. Mm. Um, so, so the vertical compliance of a wheel, I think, is, 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 is negligible. But the, the lateral stiff flex isn't necessarily, partly yeah. because wheels have much more lateral flex, but also because the bike as a whole has much less because, of course, the suspension doesn't work in the lateral direction. Mm. So I can see that if you're really lent over hard, so your bike is really lent um, almost horizontal, then the lateral flex in the wheel could help the contact patch to track over sort of rooty terrain uh, because that lateral flex is now partly vertical because the bike is lent over so much. Mm. And this is certainly important for things like super bikes, um, road motorcycles, which can, which can lean over 45 degrees, in which case the suspension is much less effective. And so the lateral flex becomes more important. Uh, I'm not 100% sure how important that is on a bicycle. But, but another example could be um, when you're just going through kind of pinball rocks and the mm. wheels are pushing the wheels sideways in, as well as vertically. Yeah. And in that case, I can see how a, a laterally flexy wheel could give you more compliance there. Um, I mean, but, I'd say an anecdotally, at least, I think differences in those things are... I think they are noticeable. You okay. know, like they've, I think they've they've long been talked about in 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 reviews and cycling media and and you know marketing as well. And I don't think that that those things have come from nowhere. Hmm. I don't think we're you know I don't think those things have just been made up because someone. I mean, why would they? You know, why would that sort of start if there wasn't something in it? You know, no smoke without fire. I think certainly, you know, like I've ridden quite a lot of hardtails this year. Hmm. And okay, there's a, there is stuff going on with, you know, different wheels, different tyres, different pressures and all that sort of thing. But if you, you know, I've got a, a Santa Cruz Chameleon in my garage at the moment with a 2.6 inch tyre on a, on, a, on, a, on a carbon rim. And I've got a, a Marin Elroy, which is a steel um, bike with a... 30 mil, uh, 29 mil rim and a 2.4, 2.5 inch tire. And they feel noticeably different through, you know, on like a hard, harsher landing and stuff. There is a difference in feel between those two bikes. And, this, and, and that Chameleon is a stiff bike. When you pedal on it, when you push side to side, there's very little movement in there. With the Marin, when you sort of stand up on the pedals, it doesn't feel as rigid as that Chameleon feels. And I, I think despite having a, a higher volume tire, that Santa Cruz on like a, an isolated hit does feel different to the Marin. 
And there's, mm. there's obviously a lot of reasons for that. I'm not saying it's purely down to the frame. Um, but that is echoed across a lot of the bikes that I've ridden over the past year or so. You know, carbon XC race bikes through to trail hardtails, aluminium, carbon, steel. Yeah. I think I... I think one alternative reason that could be mixed in mm -hmm. is to do with geometry. Yeah. Because with a, with a more traditional bike, you'll have a shorter chainstay and a slacker seat angle. And that means that if you're sat down, your, your bum is more directly over the rear axle, mm. which means that um, if you ignore flex for a minute, um, if your bum is directly over the rear axle, then if the rear axle moves a centimeter, your bum moves a centimeter. Mm. Whereas if you have a longer chainstay and a steeper seat angle, then you're actually sat somewhere further towards the middle of the wheelbase. Mm -hmm. And so if usually one wheel hits a bump and then the other, so the bike kind of seesaws. Yeah. And if you're towards the middle of that seesaw, then you get less... You get less movement at the saddle yeah um you know the if you were bang in the middle of the wheelbase then if the rear wheel only moves by a centimeter then your saddle will only move by half a centimeter mm. obviously that's way more extreme than reality but there is a there is a geometry component to comfort mm -hmm. uh that's one thing um and yeah i mean i, I could be wrong but um I, I, it would be interesting to test the vertical flex of that Marin because I, I would have I would have thought that the vertical flex would be really quite small compared to the flex I'm, in the tire. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. I mean, it, it almost feels like it's um, it's you know almost the difference between sort of high you know like a, a, a click on a high speed um, compression damper on a foot like it just. It doesn't give you the same jarring feel through the bike. And mm. yeah, I mean, you know, I ain't no physicist. It's just, it's based, you know, purely on, on having ridden, you know, a load of different bikes. I, I think it, it feels like there is some sort of difference. You know, I mean, that's, it's not something that's, ne you know, it's not a new sort of concept and it feels like it has been talked about a lot. Um, I agree, yeah. And... You know, we, but, we're not in the we're not in the business of making shit up, or making stuff up for the hell of it. So something has to have come from somewhere. Um, and not, I mean, this you know, th this comes down to again to sort of the the testing and, and and all that sort of stuff. You know, at some point it'd be great to be able to, you know, if I could get say like the chameleon built exactly the same shape as the Elroy, or vice versa, or whatever it was, or if I could get two identically shaped bikes with identical mm. kit. That's the, the only real way of really kind of finding out what differences there are in feel. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Probably trickier, well, easier said than done, maybe. But um, mm. it's, certainly, it's certainly, you know, an interesting... I really, yeah, I realise I'm going out on a limb here. I'm not 100% sure. Mm. But, I mean, I just don't see the theory, mm -hmm. how, how it works out in theory. And the other thing is, I I did last year. I did a wheels group test where I tested fourteen different wheels, mm. and I really couldn't feel much difference between them. And that that group test included the Zip Three Zero Moto, 
yeah. which is a single wall carbon rim. It's designed to be really flexy because instead of having a box section, which is really stiff, it's just a single piece of carbon. Uh, the rim in isolation is 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 really flexy. It's like a, I don't know, it's like a bow and arrow. It's like that kind of bendiness mm. in it. But obviously once it's built up into a wheel and all those spokes are tensioned up and they're, they're pretty tight on that wheel, you again have something that is very, very stiff until it, until it overcomes that spoke tension. Mm. And, and I rode, I did lots of back-to-backs with different wheels, like alloy DT Swiss wheels, like other carbon wheels, the, uh, the Crank Brothers Synthesis carbon wheels. And I really didn't notice much difference, to be my, honest. My, my the, question, my question on. On, on that is, you know, you know, I'm sure we would all stand by sort of the findings, you know, like, you know, testing, you know, I, I feel that as a, as a team, we do a very good job of testing. If, if there was, and I'm, this isn't like a, I'm not standing up for SRAM here, like I'm not, I've got no vested interest in, in doing that. If there is no advantage to that kind of construction with any twist, and it is basically just effectively in that case, a marketing claim, why would they spend so much time doing R&D to develop those wheels to make a, a, a theoretically baseless marketing claim when they could have spent significantly less money and still created something that they would then claim is better anyway? Why have they gone to such efforts? to? Because, you know, making a single wall carbon rim, which has all that flex in it, you know, like, I'm not, I don't know how much it costs, but it's not cost-free in terms of developing that. No. So why bother doing it if there was no benefit to doing it? So um, I'm, I don't actually think there's no benefit. But I think the benefit is not in what, at least what I expected it to be, which was that you'd rattle down a kind of rough descent and your hands would be less sore, you'd have less fatigue, uh, it, it would feel smoother, you'd have more traction. I, I didn't notice any of that, to be honest. However, I think there could be another benefit because, as I say, you have with a wheel you have like, um, because it's pre-tensioned, you have this force you have to overcome before the rim will start to deflect vertically. But once you overcome that threshold of force, excuse me, then it will start to move much more easily. Um, so it's not like a coil spring where the force builds up linearly with, um, with, uh, with flex, with, with displacement. It like has this wall of force you have to get over and then it starts to move. So I can see there being a benefit in terms of puncture resistance. So if you're like hitting something really hard, like the kind of impact that happens maybe once a run or once a ride, then you might be generating enough force to get the wheel to flex and move out of the way. And so you'll not only have less sort of sudden harshness on those rare occasions, you might also get fewer punctures. Um, that, that rim also has a very wide bead. Um, so the, so the, the part of the rim where the tire kind of sits over the lip, the lip of the rim is very wide. So that's also uh, decreasing the pressure between the tire and the rim. So, and this is quite a big um, part of the claims that SRAM Zip make about their wheels is that they ha- they seem to notice fewer punctures with them. Mm-hmm. And I I can believe that. 
I think that that makes sense. It's not like I've been able to test it. Uh, it'd be very difficult to, to kind of do the statistics on it and see if you're definitely getting fewer punctures. But I can definitely believe that. Um, but in terms of like that kind of small bump chatter, that kind of riding over sort of washboard surfaces and getting sort of sore hands, sore joints, whatever. I don't think a wheel is really making much difference in that mm -hmm. case. Um, yeah, the other thing they claim is that the, the rim in that case can actually like twist yeah. um, along its circumference, if you like. Um, and they claim that that kind of gives you more, more traction in sort of high load corners and off cameras and things. I can't say I noticed that myself. I, I still think there's going to be way more flex and, and squirm and, and deflection in the tire than the rim, but yeah, I mean, maybe I just wasn't able to kind of hone in on those scenarios where that is happening and really notice it. But as I say, I did multiple back-to-backs with different wheels and I did them on the same tracks, same tires, same pressures. Mm -hmm. Um, and in those conditions, I really can't say I noticed much difference. Um, so I, I could be, I could be wrong, but from my experience, I've not really noticed much difference between wheels in terms of comfort. Okay. I've got a, um, I'm doing, I've got the enviable task of doing a wheels group test next summer, which... Enviable. Very <laughs> nice. <laughs> Oh, yeah, very good. Because, yeah, very uh, good. You wouldn't send me any last time I asked for some. Uh, pun not intended. I'll, yeah. I'll ask them. I'll see what they can send. I mean, I'm not. You know, like the only sort of um, you know anecdote I have on on this real subject, to be totally honest, is when they did uh, when Envy actually launched their latest uh, the M30s or yeah the latest generation wheels. We did a day at Bike Park Wales with them, um, and I, I get hand pain on long or rough descents quite quite easily and we did back-to-back -back testing with the old the previous generation envy wheels which even they would admit were harsh they weren't a comfortable set of wheels whether or not you agree that that's a concept or not but the the, the you know it was back-to-back -back, same bike same rim width same tire pressures same tires and swapping between them and run ones and two with the old wheels i got hand pain run three and four with new wheels, I didn't get hand pain. Now, there could be various reasons for that. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say it was 100% definitely down to the wheels. I, I, I sort of feel that the difference between... And, and those wheels were very... You know, everyone sort of remarked on how stiff the previous generation wheels were. And they had, they say, worked on the, on the stiffness and the comfort into that second generation wheel. Now, whether that is through sort of that plastic rim strip they put in there, whether it's through a little bit more twisting flex within the rim rather than vertical compliance i don't know um but I, I you know i and numerous other people on that on that same day did feel that there was some differences between the two wheels in terms of comfort but hey um you know maybe uh, we'll uh, we'll have another discussion uh, later on down the line once uh does some yeah. more testing and i, I mean, say i mean this is one of my sort of theories yeah I don't know for sure if I'm right. But we need, you know, we you need theories to sort of progress. You know, I, I don't think there's, you know, the, I mean, there will maybe there is a right or wrong down the line, but I don't think we found the right or wrong. 
I don't know. No, more, more, uh, more evidence needed. More evidence needed. Should we talk um, a bit more about the forks? Or... Let, let's do, yeah, let's wrap up quickly because, um, yeah, we have been rabbiting on for about 40 minutes already. So, um, <laughs> yeah, let's let, let, give us a quick rundown um, of, of maybe like the why the Fox 38 was the winning fork. Um, and yeah, let's, let's touch on, on the rest of them a little bit. So to be honest, it was between the 36 and the 38. Right. I think the 36 has got a bit uh, forgotten about because the 38 is all new, but the, the 36 has, um, I think that the main, the most important difference is that it's got more spring volume. So it's yep. got a bigger negative and a bigger positive volume. That means that you get a more coil-like spring curve, I think is the best way to describe it. Um, so you have basically softer beginning stroke than a conventional, more old school air spring. Yeah. But you have firmer mid stroke, so it's it's more like a coil. It's um and that and I think one kind of key takeaway uh from this fork group test and the last one is that that initial sensitivity is really important. Mm. Because if you're if you're if you're on the brakes, then you're never gonna be in that first part of the treble because you'll be deeper in the stroke. But when you're not braking and you're just like rattling along through through really rough, choppy sections of trail. Your fork spends a lot of time in the very first part of the stroke. And that first first touch is really important, partly because it helps the fork to react to the smallest of bumps and give you the traction when give you some traction when there's very little load on it. But also it means that the the fork doesn't overextend, doesn't kind of hyperextend um, when it on rebound because you have less force in that very first part of the stroke. Mm -hmm. And um, so the kind of runners up this year were the Zeb, the RockShox Zeb and the RockShox Lyric, mm -hmm. uh, which is a reversal of last year where I thought the Lyric was better than the 36. And the reason is partly that Fox have massively improved their air springs. Yeah. And partly that RockShox, in my opinion, have gone backwards because they have, they've, I think part of the reason is that people were noticing that like a 160 mil Lyric actually only gives you about 155 mil of travel. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that the beginning stroke was so soft that it like, it kind of settled into the travel under its own weight. So people are going, hang on, I, I can't get off full travel out of my fork. And the other reason is that when you set up a fork, most forks, you have to change the air pressure and then you have to compress the fork gently into the first few millimeters of travel to allow the air to flow from the positive to the negative chamber. Mm. And that's a really important step, and a lot of people forget it. And when you have a really large negative spring volume, that's really important. Because mm. otherwise you can drop like 10, 20 PSI uh, once you start compressing the fork mm -hmm. and the, the air settles. So RockShox basically moved their transfer port up to the top of the travel, such, such that both the chambers inflate simultaneously, makes it yep. really easy to, to set up the fork and the fork fully extends, so you get every millimeter of travel. The downside is that when you're riding, it fully extends, like it wants to hyperextend to, towards the top out bumper. So you get this sort of, it doesn't exactly top out because they've done a really good job with the top out bumper, but it doesn't feel quite as like settled into its travel. So it doesn't feel as stuck to the trail. You don't get as much sort of predict predictable traction. And it wants to kind of, um, 
yeah, unless you had the rebound much slower than the old fork, it, it kind of wants to overextend a little bit. And then when you, on the on the compression side, it, it's just not quite, it's a, just a little bit more abrupt when it's hitting those bumps. And then at the same time, uh, the the RockShox forks just have not quite as much mid-stroke support. So when you are on the brakes, they dive a little bit more through the travel. You have to rely on more on compression damping. It's, Basically, the springs in the Rockstrix fork this year are not as good as the Fox forks, mm -hmm. and that's what put Fox ahead. Uh, in my opinion, it's quite that they're in both cases they're better. Whether the 36 or the 38 is the better fork kind of depends on how much you prioritize weight. Because yeah. the 38 is like 250 grams more, but the um, the, the Rockstrix forks are way cheaper. They're significantly cheaper. So. Mm -hmm how much that extra performance, that extra traction, that extra support matters to you versus the extra cost Do you is think up to you. When, when we're talking about that cost, uh, so I've got um, the new Canyon Spectral um, in the garage at the moment. I've been riding that the last week or so. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's got um, a Performance Elite 36. Oh, now, yeah. I sort of, with the previous iterations of the 36, I, I was a, a, a agree I preferred um, Forks from RockShocks. It's that early stroke. Again, coming back to the hand paint stuff, I, I found... Rock shocks were just a bit more comfortable, um, a bit yeah. softer, especially off the top. And that thirty six has really surprised me. Just how good it, it feels, incredible. Um, oh, that's great. Really, that you, certainly, um, yeah, you've found the same. It feels a lot better than I was expecting it to. I've had no issues with it. Um, yeah. but it's, a, it's the performance elite version of the fork, so it's still got the grip two damper, but it's got the non Kashima black sanctions. Yeah. Be interesting do to do a test of Kashima versus non Kashima. It's something yeah. I've wanted to do for a long time. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, if I was going to go out and buy a pair of forks, I, I mean, I, unfortunately I haven't checked, but can you get, I don't know if you can buy the Performance Elite, whether they're OE only or not, but like... You can buy them, yeah. I mean, surely that, you know, that's going to bring the price back down to that RockShox level. It doesn't actually. Like, the Performance is Elite is still a lot more than a Lyric. Okay. So, uh, I think I said this in the video of the 38 versus Zeb video I mm. did. Um, if... If I was feeling flush, I would buy the 38. If I was had less cash, I think I would try and find the 2020 version of the Lyric. Yeah. I think it's better. I think it's yeah. better, well, it's better than the, the new version. Yeah. I don't think it's as good as the 36, mm -hmm. or the new 36, or the mm -hmm. new 38. But yeah, you can still find them online. And like, yeah, you can find them quite cheap online as well. So, right. that, so that's my kind of, um, consumer advice hot tip <laughs> is like try and get one of the old ones of the lyric yeah and just don't measure the travel and if, <laughs> if you if you if you think that 155 mil of travel is not enough get the 170 lyric mm -hmm. and it'll have like 165 mil of travel yeah uh like not an issue um so so they, they were the top four just just to be clear like the rock forks are still really good yeah. Like still like hand pain is really low. They're still yeah. really comfortable. You'll only notice the difference between the RockShox and the 36 air springs in specific situations. Mm -hmm. um, there's still some of the best forks. It's just 30, you know, the Fox forks have kind of leap, leapfrogged them. Yeah. Um, another interesting fork was the Marazzocchi Z1 coil. Mm. So it's got a coil spring and, and it's like a much cheaper fork felt amazing like initial sensitivity was at least as good as the fox forks possibly slightly better mm -hmm. not sure 
But um, yeah, plenty to lean on in the middle of the travel. Like coil springs make a lot of sense. Like yeah. air springs are basically slowly moving towards being like a coil. Yeah. And that's a good thing. Um, but it's really heavy. That's one downside. The main downside is that there's only four coil springs. Mm -hmm. For everyone, like according to Fox, everyone from like 50 kilos to 120 kilos are covered by four springs. And it's like the, the gaps between them are just too big. Yeah. Um, one fork that I didn't like was the Manitou Meza. Mm -hmm. The reason is I think it's overdamped, yeah. particularly on rebound. So I found that um, higher, like low frequency stuff where it's like, slow technical like maneuvering the bike over rocks and big sort of big features it's great like really supportive loads of, loads of support but when you're kind of just rattling through some braking bumps or just high frequency rocks in the woods it becomes really harsh and it and um and more unpredictable it seems to sap more speed it sort of bogs down mm -hmm. i think the reason is i just can't get the rebound fast enough right um, and I'm, I'm like 85 kilos, I run my forks fairly firm and I shouldn't be having that issue. Yeah. Like if I was like 50 kilos, I'd say, yeah, fair enough. But I, I shouldn't have that issue. So that's another takeaway that I think we should end on because we're, we're running on. <laughs> but I think the other takeaway is I tried the 30, so one criticism of the 36 and the 38 is that I was basically fully open on rebound. Yeah. Uh, and I tried it at the recommended settings and it just, it was like the Meza. It was like, it was packing down. If you ride, there's a section of braking bumps at Forest of Dean that I've ridden a hundred times. And I rode it with those stock settings. And I had, I never realized how rough it was. Like the fork was just like, you land a jump and then you're like coming into a berm. So the fork is quite loaded up. And then they're just like maybe five or 10, just really high frequency stutter bumps. Mm -hmm. they're, they're really small. But the harshness, I almost went straight on, like just the vibration through the bar, did not expect the kind of, I didn't feel like I had much grip in the front wheel. And I, I almost like went straight on in the corner. You know, when you like ride the top of the berm, cause you just mm. like don't anticipate the corner properly. So, so that's the main takeaway I think from the test was like, having your fork rebound too slow is really not ideal. Mm -hmm. um, it can really, um, impact on comfort um, and yeah the recommended settings from Fox I think are way off and fully open on the Meza is way off in my opinion yeah um, and I was talking to the motion instruments people who make suspension telemetry and they work with Greg Minar and and they um, um, yeah they've, they've done a lot of data gathering on suspension and, and they, they were saying the same they're saying like a lot of the suspension products nowadays are overdamped and if you can get them to rebound faster, um, they, they track better. You get more grip, you get more traction, you get less harshness. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, if you look at the, according to them, like, you know, it's surprising how fast you need it to be before it starts, before it stops packing down. Um, yeah, so that's another takeaway is like, try, just, just try running your fork faster. Yeah. Um, you might be surprised if you ride sort of high frequency stuff, like bike park stuff with a lot of braking bumps, mm. you might be really surprised by how much more traction and comfort you can get mm -hmm. when you're doing that. Hey, so we've had some two bits of great consumer advice there. 
speed your forks up, buy a 2020 Lyric. If you can't yeah. afford a 2021 38. Yeah. Always and here to help at Bike Radar. Yeah, yeah. I think the, the 38 is like £1,300 for Me. the Kashima one. Mm-hmm. And a 2020 Lyric, what, 600 Yeah, if you shop around online, I think I've seen them for like 600 There we go. And you can get it in red, and it does look pretty cool, that red. It does, yeah. I really don't like the sort of baby-sick beige that the <laughs> 38... Um, it's like a limited edition colorway, but yeah. the one that they sent me is like, I would call it kind of baby sick or hearing aid beige. Uh-huh. Hearing aid, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. So it's all right, but it's yeah. not the color I would choose. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, well, um, we'll, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, thanks very much, Seb, for all your um, technical knowledge, as we always, always get out of you in a, in a podcast. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the Bike Radar podcast, um, please do. Thanks for listening all the way through. Share it with your friends, leave comments, reviews, all that sort of stuff, because it does help somehow. I don't know how it helps, but it does apparently. Um, and yeah, uh, tune back in next Monday for our next podcast. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bike Radar.